Hi everyone, my name is Navridi. And I'm Eric. And welcome to our podcast, Above and Below, where we interview changemakers and industry experts to help us explore how we're shaping our culture and how it's shaping us. In today's episode, we're talking about how we are experiencing shifts in the way we work. We spend a majority of our time working, and it's a big part of our lifestyles. In most offices, the human resources department has a big impact on our relationship with work. So we're going to begin with HR, an area that used to be just about hiring, benefits, and firing. But today, HR has taken a more poignant place at the table and has become a driving factor in what makes us want to get up and go to work. To spearhead this discussion, we are talking to People's Operations Manager, Caroline, about emerging trends that are reimagining how a typical workday is experienced. To jump right in, um, could you tell us the main purpose behind having an HR department in an organization? Sure. I think the sort of old school definition and purpose of HR still exists to some degree. One is kind of, I guess, corralling people, um, you know, controlling people a little bit, uh, making sure that people stay within certain lines. Um, and again, this is the old school approach to HR, expecting that rather than assuming that people will be successful and will do great things, it's kind of taking the approach of fearing that people will mess up, fearing that people will make a mistake or do something that is um, that is negative, will have a negative impact for the company, um, and putting in a lot of structures and processes and kind of safety mechanisms to protect the company from that. Um, I think the other side of it that's always been the case historically, of course, is payroll and benefits. As you guys mentioned, Um, you have to make sure that people get paid for the work that they do um, and also that you're just operating um, lawfully. Um, A company still in this day and age, as boring as it sounds, still needs to operate lawfully. Um, So, okay, how have things evolved? I still think all of these things are the case in that you do have to have safety mechanisms in place in case anything goes wrong. Um, You do an HR team does still have to pay people and make sure that they get benefits um, and also um, that people have the right structures in place um, and that, oh, the company is operating legally um, in whatever jurisdiction, city, state, country it's operating in. Um, But what has really grown is really the more the culture side of things, the experience side of things, rather than viewing people or humans as a resource, as some people like to say, um, really viewing people as the lifeblood of the company, um, the people will make or break the success of the company, and thinking about this person isn't just a number, but they're a human being. They're a multifaceted individual. How can you make sure that the workplace is sensitive to that and creates a safe space for that um, and is, um, I guess, sympathetic to that and, and really like empathic in that sense? And I guess I think about that side of things in terms of different um, sort of trials and tribulations that I have seen employees um you know, go through and how we can kind of, how I've been a part of helping them go through that at different points in time or mitigating any sort of negative things that might be happening in their personal life and how that affects their work. Um, But it also has to do with 
encouraging people to really do their best work, to take purpose in the work that they're doing and come to work every day and really feel excited and feel fulfilled by the work that they're doing. Um, and I think that all of that is really why this concept of company culture and creating a culture that facilitates that has become, I guess, more and more of a trend. So let's break that down a little bit more. You mentioned that HR used to be about seeing people as individuals who will make mistakes, essentially putting the company at a risk for inefficiency and even failure. But now this perspective is shifting where HR is about encouraging people to do purpose-driven work and bringing them to do their best work. Why do you think it's better to take this new approach now? You know, I've, I've read things, I've read in many different places reported, especially in the past maybe numbers for data from maybe the past five years or so that the percentage of employees in the U.S. that are disengaged from their job is like above 60%, which is very, very high. Um, obviously, that just sounds bad from a human perspective, but I think what that ends up doing to companies is affecting their bottom line. It means that you have employees that aren't trying as hard. It means that you have employees that aren't necessarily catching those moments where they could create great success for the company or um, potentially stop, you know, catch a mistake and stop it from going forward, you know, maybe stop something from being produced or published that could have a negative impact on the company. Um, I think there there is still very much a sense that companies have of, you know, how does our profit relate to um, how many employees we have and, um, you know, how much productivity are we getting out of our employees, um, at, at least for for-profit companies? They are always thinking about that, even though it, it can come across as a little bit ugly or crass to people outside of that perspective. Um, and so when you think about how motivated is this person, um, how engaged are they in their work, and also how loyal is that person going to be to the company because they feel like the opportunity they're given every day is exciting for them and fulfilling for them, and also that the company is looking out for them, that's treating them well, providing an environment that is safe, um, that is productive, that is comfortable. I mean, all of those things lead to people doing a better job. And so I think more and more companies and leaders at companies have seen how that can affect their bottom line. Yeah, going off of that, do you, as being in HR and your background is also in recruiting, how have you tracked people from the hiring phase to managing them to, um, you know, ongoingly? Like, what are you seeing, like, something that is, like, successful that works or maybe something that's not successful? Like, how do you, how do you, like, basically carry on, like, employee engagement? It's really challenging, right, because people get bored very quickly if they end up doing the same thing after two or three years. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think I, I wouldn't necessarily say that any of the companies I've been at, we've found the perfect way to do that. I, I think almost that entire concept that you just described, it's like this holy grail that I feel like every company is working towards now, but maybe in the past they weren't even working towards it. So that, that in and of itself is a change in the workplace right now, right. is seeing the value of that. And it feels nice, right? I mean, if profit-driven executives are thinking, hey, I will have a really profitable company if I treat my people well, I mean, it, it sounds great to me. I think it's nice. It's a win-win for everyone. Um, but okay, so how is that tracked? I think that we do always, from a recruiting perspective, 
have a record. Generally, every company to some degree tries to keep records of um, how people interviewed and like kind of scores on interviews. So you can actually look back and correlate how well someone did in their interviews versus how it compares to how they were kind of scored in their performance reviews. Now, performance reviews are tracked and, you know, calculated either quantitatively or qualitatively different from company to company. But there are a lot of companies that end up to some degree, like ranking people in terms of a number in some way, even if it's not like a strict list where it's ranked from one to 100, it's, it's rarely that actually, cause that's just too linear. Um, but I mean, there, there is a way you can see, okay, how did we assess this candidate? Did we, did we hire the right person for the role? And then you also can look at trends of, like, okay, for instance, if you look at retention and attrition at a company, that's definitely something that I've looked at at my current company. Um, and I, I know, you know, my teams have looked at it at, at my past companies as well. You can just see trends of, okay, well, if overall attrition is, you know, 10% at the company, but then if you zero in on this one team and attrition on that team over the past year has been 40%, or you zero in on this one manager and you see that attrition of every person that's reported into that manager is like 90%, then you, that, those are some of the ways that you can see where some of the issues might be or, or what are certain things that could be affecting, um, you know, whether you hired the right person or whether you're giving them the right development opportunities, um, or who needs coaching to be a better manager, that type of thing. Could you explain attrition to the audience? Oh yeah, sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, attrition is just, um, the measurement of, how many people leave a company. And generally when you talk about attrition, you're talking about it over the course of a year, but you could look at attrition over the course of any period of time, really. Got it. Going back into company culture, what are your thoughts on who drives or influences the culture itself? Is it the leadership team? Is it the people who work within the company? Do you think there's a balance there? It really depends on the company, of course, but I think it always comes from leadership. I think it really does. It, it's about whoever are the founders or is the founder of a company or the leader of a company, whatever their approach is to either giving people direction of how they want things to be done um, or there's a preference of how they want things to be done that kind of manifests itself naturally or they might be a very laid back person and they might be a lot more open about letting people sort of determine culture. Um, All of those things can affect culture. I think also um, culture sometimes develops from what you're actually building at the company um, and the types of people that are interested in that. Um, So what one thing I'll say is even though I work for a tech company, there's a very big entertainment element um, and like creativity an almost like performative element to our product. Um, And so I feel like there's kind of that energy that has always sort of pulsed through our company culture. And there might be certain instances where giving into that energy and playing it out would have been inappropriate, say at one of my last couple of companies, but it's very natural. And even if it might be in the middle of when people are at their desks, like working hard at their computers, people will just kind of respond to it and be like, yeah, I'm glad this is happening spontaneously. But yeah, just kind of stopping and doing something together. Um, 
something physical or, or something, uh, sort of performative, um, or just like enjoying music. Like music is a really big part of my company. Um, and you know, even whenever I walk by my CEO's desk, he's always listening to just like completely different types of music every time I go by. And I feel like even just the fact that he's listening to it as a desk, you can't, you might not even be able to hear it unless you walk right by. But I feel like that his interest in that and how that, that kind of has been interwoven in our company, you definitely see that affecting our culture and just being a part of our identity. Um, so I think company culture can really relate a lot to identity. Like the two are interchangeable or they're kind of interwoven. Um, and I think, I think a lot of times when people join a company more and more today, especially as in my experience in tech, people want to know what the identity is and you're, you know, you're getting that from branding, but it, it's, you know, the more concerted of an effort and like consciousness, conscientiousness that a leadership team puts into creating an identity for the company, creating values that align with that identity, the more that that genuinely aligns with the product, I think the clearer that your company culture is and the better you're going to be able to attract people to join the company or stay at the company who really want to be a part of that culture. So culture doesn't have to be just about playing ping pong and drinking beer like we all think, <laughs> right? You know, it's really too bad that that's considered culture because there are tons of companies where people are really happy, but they're not into any of those things. Um, and so I think culture is really just about a group of people coming together and having this kind of agreed upon identity that they all play into and that makes them feel like they fit in and they want to fit in there. Yeah, I think what's interesting about the tech industry today is that, you know, it's very pioneering in some ways and especially pioneering in new perks and, and, and redefining what culture is in both like good and bad ways. Like you said, like mm -hmm. these ping pong tables are kind of <laughs> overkill sometimes when people maybe just want more flexibility to go home early. So maybe we can get into a little bit more about what kind of perks do you see working maybe in your company and the industry? Yeah. Um, so one thing that stands out to me specifically about my company right now is that we have a consumer product. And so we give everybody free lifetime access to the product. And we also give everybody the chance to share that for free with like any friends and family members that they want. It's not unlimited. It's capped at a certain number, but it's very, very generous in my opinion. Um, and that's one of I, I've had so much fun, just like my significant other and I use the product quite often. So um, that's really great, a great perk, and obviously doesn't cost the company very much money. Um, and I think that's often a topic is like, gosh, if I'm starting a company or if I want to have a better company culture or I want my company to have better culture, how can I convince people to pay for it? And it doesn't always have to cost very much at all. I feel like this has been around for a long time, but I still, you know, in companies in general, but I still think it's very relevant is giving people the space to learn about something new um, and, you know, giving them a little bit of a budget to actually spend money on learning something new, whether it's going to a conference, um, whether it's taking a class, could be in person, could be online, um, whether it's, I don't know, purchasing a set of books where they're going to learn. I mean, it, obviously I'm, I'm naming some obvious stereotypical examples, but 
There could be many others. I feel like that is still a benefit, a perk that um, is very, very relevant to people in this day and age. Yeah, it makes me think of um, Richard Branson, who often talks about, you know, the old fear of, you know, people, bosses feared like educating their employees too much and they would leave. But he's a big encourager of, you know, personal professional development. And, you know, it's great if they move on and leave. That means you did a good job as a as a leader. Yeah, that was the first startup I ever worked at my manager always made that clear to me. She always said, my success as your manager is getting you promoted or getting you to move into whatever role you want to move into next or you know, moving you in the direction along your career. And that definitely, that was the, f- it wasn't the first time I'd heard that, but it was kind of the first time I heard it so clearly from a manager. And I definitely think that that's really, that's really affected how I try to be a manager and how I try to encourage other managers to treat their employees. And I also think that is, like you said, it's a new idea still. It's still something that people have to be, have to be pointed out that, yeah, you should be empowering and encouraging your employees rather than saying, did you do this? Show me the list, like show me proof. (laughs) Like how many things did you check off this week? Um, And you know, assuming that they might have done it wrong and that you have to quality check their work. So company culture can definitely be very particular to an organization. Uh, Just to uh, kind of summarize what you're saying, it can, you know, because let's say an ice cream company would be offering, you know, maybe a discounted ice cream or free ice cream to their employees. Whereas, uh, you know, a perk like that would seem... Uh, out of place at a company that's selling cars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. So totally. I think Instagram just put in a, <laughs> a ice cream parlor in their new office. Oh, of course they did, and I bet it's uh, Instagrammable. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's go back to hiring. Uh, we talked about culture and people being a culture fit, and I'm curious to know in your experience when you're recruiting and hiring someone. How important is it to you that the person is a culture fit right off the bat versus seeing their potential to become a part of the culture once they start working for the company? I don't really know where the trend started of using the phrase culture fit and when that became like a commonly held belief, but I've definitely been disabused of that to some degree in the past few years. Culture fit is often has unfortunately oftentimes been used as a way to discriminate against people who aren't like you. Um, and so I, I went to a recruiting conference once where there was someone that was that's a specific expert. I mean, she consults with companies to help them approach diversity and inclusion in a more proactive way. Um, and really address that issue in their organization. And I, I asked her, I actually raised my hand and asked her about that. I just said, what should the approach be about culture fit? Because it really can, a lot of times it's like the, it's like a dog whistle. It's like the code word of like, is this person exactly like us? They better be when you're in a debrief with a bunch of interviewers and they're talking about someone they just interviewed. Um, and she said, I really like to, think of it not as culture fit, but culture add. Um, And I think that kind of, you know, in what you just said, part of your question, you almost, you know, 
made made reference to that. Um, I think that the way when I've been helping teams recruit in the past few years since I sort of got that explicit advice and just ran with it is, can you see working with this person? Are you able to communicate with them? I think that's kind of the bare bones thing is like, can this person operate successfully in our environment? Can this person communicate with different teams? Um, and I think that's a great way to make sure that person could add to the culture if they're going to be successful in their job. I mean, certainly I think the only other aspect is, especially when a company is smaller, you want people who are joining to care about the product that you're building. I think that's a fair that's a fair thing to ask of people that are, you know, joining a company. I think when it's when a company gets a lot larger, like above 500, above 1000, maybe, you know, above 5000 people, you you tend to have to look more broadly at the types of people that you're hiring um, and consider people from a much broader span of backgrounds and interests. Um, you know, not everybody who works at Facebook I don't know, maybe they are super into Facebook, but <laughs> I don't think you necessarily meet everybody who works at a company like Facebook is like on Facebook 10 hours a day. You know what I mean? Um, so, and I think that that's fine. I don't think that they necessarily force that upon people. I don't work there though. I guess I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's more about, can you get behind this company? And then could the people that interviewed them see that they were exhibiting explicit skills. Um, and right from when you're considering onboarding somebody, you want to make it clear to them, this is how this company works. These are our values. Um, and even throughout an interviewing process, you want to make that clear. I think you kind of ideally want to make somebody choose you. And if, if, if they're bought in and they're excited, chances are they will take the effort to learn how to add to the culture. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's better to take an inclusive approach to that, um, rather than saying, oh, this person has to have this type of background or they need to have this type of personality. Um, and, and that's definitely a lot of ways that I've seen the definition of culture fit manifest mm. itself. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. Um, I really liked what you said about being a culture ad versus a culture fit. Um, is there anything you do to check the pulse of the company culture, kind of like to gauge and see how it's unfolding or being maintained? Um, we, we do an engagement survey, and our company has only been around for a few years, and we only started doing the engagement survey maybe about a year ago, maybe even a little bit less. So the cadence at which we'll continue to do it isn't completely set. I mean, I think... I think we'll probably do one every quarter or at least twice a year. Um, there will be probably more lightweight surveys and then, but for sure once a year you want to take, you want to send out a pretty well thought out survey um, that's very, very thorough. Um, and you want to get as much participation as possible from your employees. And so, yeah, we, we did do, we have, we've done a few of those lightweight ones this year and we've definitely done, we did one very big one. Um, and the information that came back was really helpful. Um, we allow people to choose a number on a scale for every single answer. So we had very clear cut quantitative data that, 
um, my manager at the time and my teammate were able to present to our leadership team and show, you know, these are some of the things we should think about. These, this, these are making clear what our company's weaknesses are, what our company's strengths are. Yeah, we actually, my team spent a fair amount of time going through these different answers and like coding things and trying to group things so we could really see trends. Um, I personally was actually most involved when we did that surrounding our values because we didn't have company values and we only just put them together at the beginning of this year. Um, And we really wanted to make sure it wasn't just the leadership team creating them from on high. I mean, you need to you need everyone to be bought in and you need to have values that everyone agrees upon to the best of your ability. So. Yeah. I mean, company values, I feel is just a whole nother episode. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do an episode on that, but um, I, I wanted to ask about the, the survey and what is something that maybe most surprised you about the results, like something that like you got out of doing it that you didn't really see on a day to day basis or you weren't observant of. Hmm. I don't remember really being surprised by very much. <laughs> I think that I think that you know, sometimes you have a sense of there are just certain things that if people don't say it to you, you're just not going to be aware of. Um what's interesting about my team right now is that I feel like they're in in different ways everyone on my team is somebody that people come to to sort of vent to or ask for advice or complain and say like can this be fixed but i kind of feel like we all end up talking to different people at the company it's like different people trust me and want to come to me versus want to come to you know my teammate who does more of like office facilities and like that type of experience side of things um, versus, yeah, it's just, it's, it's interesting how that fleshes out. And so I feel like there were probably different parts where we all had a sense, but we just didn't know because no one had talked to us about the topic. So there will always be topics that are kind of, you know, on a given team, everyone knows, but nobody talks about it. Um, So there might be an issue like an issue of communication where you feel like there's lack of clarity on your own team, but you don't know if other teams necessarily feel that way. But then when you discover that other teams do feel that way, it makes sense. Um, I would definitely say communication (laughs) is one that's been an issue, but that's such a complex topic. There's like no one way to define that really. Um, But it's not surprising um, considering that, I mean, this is my third company in a row that's been, fast-changing, fast-paced startup. Um, So, yeah, trying to communicate those changes as they happen every hour, every day, every week um, can be a challenge. All right. Well, from your experience, what factors do you think makes up a good company culture? Autonomy. I think really giving people as much autonomy and transparency as possible. And I definitely think those are topics that Um, people have keyed into more and more. It's kind of like, it's definitely in tech, at least I can speak to tech. It's like, people always want to say transparency is one of their company values. That doesn't always mean it's the case. Um, I actually have a friend, um, who worked at a company that had a very toxic environment and completely lacked transparency. And then later on showed me a video of a talk that some of their leadership team members did where they were saying transparency is our number one value and what have you. So 
it's it's trending it's important it's very hard to achieve um but yeah autonomy and transparency i would say those are top um i would say another thing is just like sense of fun it's really hard to make people feel like they're having fun at work it's almost something that just happens naturally i think a lot of what makes a good culture is seeing things that are happening organically and allowing them to happen and and almost like the higher up you are in the company the more you need to make sure you're not standing in the way and and that's really that's really challenging too especially when you're responsible for the success of an entire organization and you're just like I have to make sure you know we hit our goals and um I'm the one who's responsible for that and and just kind of letting people be creative and create their own fun One example I want to give actually from my current company, which I've really loved, is that um, like ERGs are a pretty common thing at a lot of companies, employee resource groups. So there might be like a black affinity group or there might be like um, an LGBTQ group. Um, You know, depending on how large your company is, you probably will have many more. Um, You know, there's a there's a women's group at my company, for instance. Um, And all of these groups when they kind of start up organically at your company, when they're started by employees, but then people on the HR side or the leadership team side say, okay, great, you want to do this. I'll give you some guidance. We'll help you plan an event in the office, but otherwise you run with it. Or like, hey, what do you want to do? Okay, how much does it cost? All right, we'll try to pull budget for you so you can make it happen. So you're kind of like supporting people and you have, you're putting a, just like a general framework in place, but otherwise you let people, the employees, drive the direction of those things and what they're passionate about. It's hard. It's hard a lot of times for people not to instinctively want to control everything, right? But I think having that flexibility and freedom, and again, I guess it, it connects to giving your employees autonomy and trusting them. That's great. Autonomy and trust are really key values, especially today when there's so much information floating and it's hard to manage everything that's going on and that's probably why a lot of things like slack is working for people for better communication and even with like i know some companies are pioneering like transparent salaries which is a hard thing to get by just knowing what everybody's making um but i think we're moving in really positive directions is there anything else you want to add to close this out hmm I think that to your point about autonomy and trust, I think flexibility really goes in with that. I know you and I have talked about this before, about more and more acceptance um, socially, professionally, but also just in terms of actual policies about working flexible hours, working flexible days, working flexible locations. Um, And I think that that is something that is definitely trending, but I still think there are a lot of companies that don't feel comfortable with it and don't really know how to navigate it and don't want to allow it. Um, but, but you see more and more that that really, that can help a lot of employees be more productive, be happier, feel like their company is fitting into their lives rather than their company running their lives. Um, and you know, yeah, it leads to a lot of people producing better work and, and being more productive. Um, I would say that's a really big thing to look for, especially, I feel like there are more and more companies out there that are don't even have an office and they're actually remote only. I think that's an interesting trend that I've seen over the past several years 
I've seen it crop up more and more of just that idea that everyone works wherever they want. They all communicate digitally. And then maybe a few times a year or maybe even once a year, everybody goes on a huge trip together somewhere exciting to meet in the middle and have a whole big bonding session. Um, and I definitely, um, I, I've, I've thought more and more in the past few years, it would be really cool to work for a company like that someday just to experience that. And I'm not necessarily a person that loves to work from home. Sometimes I enforce it upon myself to focus and have less distraction. Um, but it would be an interesting, an interesting thing to see how that works out for a whole employee base of working remotely. Yeah, I see that happening. And I guess if you're not paying for an office overhead, you can pay for a big expensive trip. So absolutely. Offices are very expensive, (laughs) especially in our city. Um, We're in New York, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, this is not a cheap place. (laughs) No. Well, thank you so much, Caroline, for talking to us today and giving us your insights on HR, company culture, and everything in between, like the importance of autonomy, transparency, and trust that make up a good organization and good organizational values. To all our listeners, if you have any questions and comments about this episode, we encourage you to email us at hello at aboveandbelow.nyc. We have many more topics to cover about the future of the workplace, and you can stay in the loop with us by subscribing to our channels on iTunes, Spotify, or Anchor. Thanks so much for listening.